Father in heaven, we come before thee once more this afternoon now, giving thee thanks, praise, adoration for all your goodness to us as we have gone through the many events this morning that have happened in the past year. We're thankful that you were with us and that you blessed our church and our families. We pray that you'll continue to be with us throughout this coming year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For this afternoon's text, I thought of uh, new beginnings, what could be taught, and what came to mind was the book of Jonah. So let's turn, sorry, Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Let's read, um, I just want to read the one verse, and then maybe we can go over a few more verses in in retrospect. So let's go for Joshua chapter 24, and I'd like to read verse 15. Let's go to 14, give it a bit of context. Now therefore, Joshua speaking, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The words of Joshua. I think we are very familiar with this book, with this character, Joshua. In some ways, he was a type of Christ, a deliverer of his people that will take them to the promised land. He's many been given this uh, parallel by many. As a, fact, as a matter of fact, his uh, name Joshua uh, in the Greek is Jesus. And you can, when you read the book of, um, I think it's Acts or is it Hebrews, they actually mentioned his name as Jesus in, in their testimonies, whether it was Stephen, I can't, can't remember exactly. But his name is Jesus in the Greek, and the full name is Jehoshua, God saves. It means God saves. And the angel Gabriel told Joseph, his name shall be called Jesus, because he shall save, he shall save his people from their sins. And so he's a savior to us, Jesus, as Joshua was a savior by leading them out of the land of, um, at that time it was on the other side, of the, on the east, east side of the river Jordan, in the land of the Amorites, in the land of the Edomites and the tribes on that side of the Jordan. And he was going to take them in across the Jordan to conquer the land as God has promised to him. 
Now, if we go back to, that's why I didn't want to reread it twice, but if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, this is just before Joshua was to die. He died at a young age of 110 years old, comparatively, compared to the many that went before him. They died at, Moses died at 120, I believe. Uh, he died at 110. And before that, this, the, the many that died, you know, Abraham and so forth, up in the 170s. And, um, so relatively speaking, he was young, 110. But he had achieved what God had asked him to do. After Moses was forbidden to enter the promised land, he passed on the torch to, to Joshua. And Joshua reminded them, just as um, the, the nation of Israel had to be reminded and refreshed and, uh, about the law of God, that he gave them the second law. The law that was given to the Jews in the wilderness was given by Moses. But many of them perished. Anyone that was over 20 of the males did not enter the promised land. And uh, they had to reiterate the law to them in what they called the Deuteronomus, the second law. That's the Latin word for the second law. So he renewed the law to them before they entered the land. And now that Joshua was about to leave this life, he wanted to remind them one more time. Because after Joshua came the, the perilous times of the judges, when they never had a, a, a ruler like Moses and Joshua, but they had judges that followed them. And they entered this, this spiral of degradation and, and depravity and corruption as they mingle with the nations around about them. And Joshua reminded them, he says, he gathered the tribes of Israel to Shechem, called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Now, Shechem is a place in northern Israel, in actually Samaria, but before that, it was known for a few things. That Jacob actually bought a parcel of land in, in Shechem. That Abraham, even before that, Abraham came down and he came from the north from Mesopotamia and he, he, he stopped in various places. And I believe that was also one place there in Bethel and, and places where, uh, which is not far from Shechem, where Abraham was, where he left, uh, raised the altar, worshipped God, and he kept going south, all the way down to Egypt, as a matter of fact. But it was also a place where there was things that weren't very pleasant for Israel to remember. And that was when the Shechemites actually slew the young men, because they defiled their, their sister. But Shechem is also the place uh, in between two mountains, Mount, Nebo, sorry, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, where the blessings and the cursings were articulated by Moses. If you go to 
I believe it's chapter 30 of, uh, of, of Exodus, of uh, Deuteronomy. He gathered the people together in a, in a very similar fashion, perhaps, where he told them that if you keep these commandments, if you don't keep these commandments, you will be cursed. You'll be cursed in the field, cursed in, in your land, cursed in your whatever it was that he said. And then if you kept them, you'll be blessed. I don't want to read through it at the moment, but this is where they were on the Mount of Cursing and the Mount of Blessing. And then he asked the nation of Israel if they will abide by the law of God, and they said, we will. He called out a witness for everyone to see. And now he's, it's Shechem again, Joshua now. And he calls the elders together, and he reminds all the people that saith, the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even in even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. He reminded them what their beginnings were. Your grandparents and great great your great grandparents, they served on the other side of the river in Mesopotamia. They served other gods. And I took your father Abraham. He, he pulled, uprooted Abraham from that family, from the other side of the flood, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac as a promised child, promised to a barren woman, Sarah. So when he talks about the flood now, he's not talking about the flood, you know, the, the, the Red Sea. He's talking about coming across from the river Euphrates, coming down as was uh, asked by God. And I said, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. This is where we get the whole concept of faith. It wasn't when, Ab it wasn't when Abraham was offering Isaac that this statement was made. The statement was made that Abraham was justified because he just believed God. He just followed and obeyed God, what he asked him to do. Leave his father's home, cross the, uh, the Euphrates, and go down to the land that I'll show you. Then he promised to him Isaac. He received Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob and Esau. And I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. So Esau... Remember, was the brother that was a twin. He was the older. And as he was, as he was uh, born, being born, Jacob latched onto his ankle, or to his foot, and in that way he was given this name supplanter, that he, he somehow deceived Esau and received the birthright. And we know the story of Israel, how it came about. But Mount Seir is on the... Um, on the east side of the Dead Sea. And I, I always wondered, I always wondered when I read the, the, the account, I think it's in Isaiah 63, it says, who is this that comes from, from Bosra with, with, with garments that are bloodstained? Who is that? And it's supposed to be a messianic prophecy. I said, well, what would the Messiah be doing coming from Edom? which is where Mount Seir is, on the east coast of the Dead Sea. 
And the whole context here was he came back as a warrior that had just defeated his enemy and now is coming back to Jerusalem. And if you remember the, if you remember the, uh, the, the, the account of Jeremiah that we talked about last week, that Jeremiah mentioned the, the judgment of ten nations, amongst which was Babylon, and amongst which was also Edom. And anyone that opposed the nation of Israel, that tried to in some way uh, thwart the plans of God, knowingly or unknowingly. And he would judge these nations. Obadiah preaches against Edom. I believe Malachi also. And God, he says what he means and he means what he says. That he would judge the nations. And when they entered into the promised land, he judged the nations. He judged the nations because of the atrocities that were committing in their pagan worship, in this apparently sacrificing of their children. It wasn't that he was just a cold-blooded God that, that just wanted to have room for his people, but he was judging them for their sin. And it shows this Messiah, this one that was had blood-stained clothes that's coming from a battle that had that had performed the judgment of God on Edom. And here we are, it says here that, um, and I gave unto Isaac, Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau the Mount Seir to possess it. Mount Seir. So Jacob was the father of the Edomites. And it goes even further than that. Who, who else came from Edom that tried, tried in some way to thwart the plans of God? Wasn't it Herod? Herod the Great? He was an Edomite. He was one-eighth Jew. But his, his parents, his forebears were from Edom. And he tried in some way to uh, support the Jewish people by building them a temple and giving them some form of protection. But he also remembered what he tried to do. He said, Rachel was weeping for her children. Why? Just as the children that were two years and under... In, 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 in Egypt, was, every male child, should I say, was slaughtered. Every male baby was slaughtered because of Pharaoh's uh, jealousy of the growing nation. So too, in Bethlehem, when the wise men came to worship the king and Herod heard of it, he feared that this king will take over his kingdom. And so he said to, to slay every male child under, years, under two years old. This is what Edom did, if you will. He wasn't, he wasn't, he was trying to thwart, if you will, the plan of God, unbeknownst that, that um, this was going to be the real Messiah. Not just some physical uh, emperor or, 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 or sovereign. And he said, I sent Moses also and Aaron and I plagued Egypt and I, according to the, that which I did among them, and afterwards I brought you out. He, he's reminding them where they came from. He's reminding them of what their previous history was. And how he led them with a mighty hand out of Egypt. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued, and your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, 
he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and uh, covered them and your eyes your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt and ye dwelt in the wilderness and he, he, he elaborates all the um, miracles and wonders that God has done to them but then when that happened what did he say to them when we started reading in chapter um, he mentioned the, the, all the nations that he, that he had driven out and then he said, I have given you a land which you did not labor for, and your cities you build not. You dwelt in them of the vineyards and the olive yards which ye planted. You not, not, you planted not, do you eat? So you didn't put any effort into this. The land had its fruit already, and I prepared this for you to bring you in. And then he said, Now therefore fear. Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in Mesopotamia. And then he said, and in Egypt. After providing everything for his own people, they rebelled in the wilderness. That's why they, they perished in the wilderness. The bones were scattered all over the wilderness. And he's reminding them one more time before Joshua dies. Don't let history repeat itself. But then he says this. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Why would he say that? You consider this evil. And maybe that word is used there in the archaic uh, phraseology but if if this seems to you onerous or difficult or or hard choose you this day whom you will serve what other option do you have he's saying i remember when when uh my children were growing up and they were rebellious just like i was rebellious when i was a little kid I remember when they wanted to do something, I would say, go ahead and do it. And Millie would always say, honey, don't tell them to do it. I wasn't saying do it because I want them to do it. But I was trying to tell them, if you do this, go ahead and do it. You'll find out for yourself. If you don't want to listen to your parents, if you don't want to listen to people that have been through life and experienced it, they understand the word of God, go ahead and do it. I didn't, give up a, I didn't say this without a fight. I didn't say this without trying to reason with them. But when they wouldn't listen, I said, go ahead and do it. And this is what God is saying. If, you will, if, you, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, if it's hard, if it's difficult, whatever it is, choose. Choose you this day who you will serve. Whether to be gods of your fathers that they served on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, he said. Go ahead and do it. If that's what you want to do, you know who God is. You know what he did for you. You know how kind and gracious he was. You really want to serve these gods out here? If that's, if that's what you want to do, do it. But for me and for my house, my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Now, that statement alone is a statement of a father that really cares for his household. It's a statement of a father that doesn't want to buckle to the pressures of society. When the kids come back to the mom and dad and say, Dad, why can't we do it? Everybody else is doing it. Happened to me many times. You know, we didn't have a TV, I don't know, for till what time. I don't know what year it was. But my kids always sort of have complained that, yeah, we never had a TV. We had to go and find our own TV on the street to bring it in. And when we brought it in, I, I threw it out again. Now it's very difficult because you don't need a TV anymore. You've got the little pad in your hand, the little telephone, which is, can, be, it can be used for tremendous good, but it can be used for horrible, terrible evil. I feel sorry for the generation that uh, is living now. You know, when I was a young man in, in Australia, I used to go, oh, I'm, well, my confessions are coming out now, okay? We had a local um, football club, which I love playing football. I'd go there every day almost, playing, kicking the ball around, practicing, playing on Sundays, Saturdays, training. And then in the evenings, we'd go into the club room because guess what? That's where the pool tables were, that's where the jukeboxes, you know what a jukebox is? You put your money in and you get a record and spins and you start listening to these, these songs, right? And I'd see people there dancing to it and worshipping it and I heard the, the song in the year 2525. I don't know if you heard of that before. And that song came to me the other day and I thought, I wonder what that was all about in the year 2525. So I looked for lyrics. Where did these lyrics come from? And there was a blog, and we think this, this, this came. And the guy that actually wrote the song said, I wrote the song. 1969, it was produced. And I'll tell you what it's about. I said, the way our society is going, and he, I believe he was some kind of a Christian of sorts. He said, the way the society is going today is, where is our society going with all these electronic devices that we have? 1969. It was almost prophetic, wasn't it? And he, in the lyrics in there, he talks about drugs, and he talks about, will, will he ever, will he even see any man or woman alive anymore? Will God come before that? Maybe it's time for God to come. But it was a top single. It was a top single. What the world has come to is far beyond what this man wrote in a song. It's some kind of a protest song. We have, in our day and age, choices to make. Our parents made choices for us. We never had a TV growing up. In the end, because of my, one of my brothers, it wasn't Mike, he, was, he's, he didn't do that. Another brother bought a black and white TV and stuck it in our bedroom. Boy, that was the best thing. You didn't have many channels. You had ABC, whatever it is, the... News, news channel and three other channels, that was it. But that was just the route, the beginning, that opened up the door to everything else. And what, what Joshua is saying here is, says, I've made my mind up. If you want to do that, you do that. You'll find out. God's judgment will come upon you. But as for me and my house, 
We will serve the Lord. Now, he didn't live much longer after this, but by this time, I'm sure he had already trained up his children, his family. They've made the decision. It's a resolution. And you know, many times, I'll tell you something. When I was going through conversion, and I, I remember from my brothers telling me the same thing. For a long time, they, they would not <clears throat> surrender. We heard the word this morning, submit. They wouldn't surrender everything to God. They knew God existed. They believed the Bible was true. But it, it was a sort of a nagging thing. Should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I. Indecision, back and forth. But when they said, when I, when I made that commitment, that's it. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to start serving God. It became much easier. When you become very definite in your commitment, in your resolution, doesn't mean you're going to have everything down pat. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to be, uh, overcome sin immediately. But what it does mean is you're resolute because you know what's true. And that's exactly what happened. One after, one after the other. Brother Mike, Brother Miller, Brother Freeman. I remember that was with me too. Should I or shouldn't I? Should I go this way or should I go that way? I've got so many friends back in Australia. I've got so many things that I had built up there. My sports, my, my friendships, the great life that I used to have. Should I or shouldn't I? But God, God made it very clear to me that it's going to be very hard for me to get back. I don't have the money, $2,000, when people are making four bucks an hour for an airplane ticket. And I thought, you know what? God is telling me right now. He's given me an opportunity to make a clean break from the past. He's given me an opportunity to make a clean break from the past. And I went to camp the first year, 1974 Webster Springs. I was deeply convicted from the sermons, from the singing, that Jesus is coming soon. That's one of the songs that I used to hear and listen to. What Joshua is saying today, you need to make a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Don't say tomorrow, because every day is going to be done another tomorrow, and another tomorrow, and another tomorrow. And don't say that, well, I'm not making a decision. Well, you know what? By not making a decision, you are making a decision. If you agree with me, raise your hand in your own heart. By not making a decision, you are making a decision. And look what the people said. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is it that brought us out of the fathers and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. 
And you thought, you would have thought on that statement, Joshua would have been very pleased. And Joshua would have been so thankful and praised God. What did he remember? He remember what they said on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. We will. We will obey God. We will keep his commandments. And what happened after that? What was Joshua's response? Verse 19. He says, you cannot serve the Lord. You said you will. He said, you can't serve the Lord. For he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He would not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. You think that's a lot of encouragement, isn't it? We just said we will serve the Lord. He said you can't serve the Lord. Why? What did he mean by that? I'm sort of reminded of Jesus when the mother of John and James brought her children to Jesus and said, you know, they, 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 they petitioned Jesus, can we, can my son sit at your right hand when you enter your kingdom, in your glory, in the restoration? And Jesus said, that place is reserved for those for whom God reserved it. But then he turns and he says, are you able to drink the cup that, I'm, that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They want to sit at the right hand of Christ in his kingdom, but Jesus said, are you able to do this? Are you able to lay down your life for me? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? The cup that he drank was bitter, was one that signified his death. Are you willing to do that? I believe that's what Joshua is saying here. You want to serve the Lord? You cannot. Why? Because there's a price to be paid. And are you willing to pay it? You just, don't just say that. Like Peter said, Lord, I will go to the death with you or for you. And Jesus turned and said, Verily I say to you, you will deny me thrice before the cock crows twice. Peter was so impetuous. He was willing to do anything for God. Have you counted the cost? Are you willing to submit everything for the kingdom of Christ's sake? Don't have a plan B, in other words. Joshua was saying, you can't come and say things like that unless you have a, only one plan. You're going in, you're not coming back. You're going forward, you're not coming back. Verse 20, he says, If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, nay, we will serve the Lord. 
And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves. Ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. They confirmed to him again. He's putting him to the test. Are you sure you want to serve Christ? God, that's what Jesus said. Are you sure you want to serve me? If you want to serve me, go sell everything you have, take up your cross, and come follow me. Remember the rich young ruler? Lord, I want to follow you. How can I enter your kingdom? Just go sell all you have, give to the poor, come follow me. Ah. I had plans for that money. I had plans what I'm going to do with all that money that I have. So they said, we are witnesses. And then Joshua says, now therefore ye put away everything, all the strange gods among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. In other words, they must have still had some gods in their tents. Put them away, he said. As if, maybe he did know. He did know that they were hiding these things. He said, you, you sure you want to follow me? Well, those gods that you have now, put them away. That's what I get out of that verse. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will be, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an uh, ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone will be a witness, for it hath, it, the stone has heard. The stone has heard what you just said. It hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall therefore be a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. Now, I don't think he meant, I may be wrong, but I don't think he meant the stone has ears. But what he meant was, every time you see that stone, you will hear a voice saying to you, you made this promise. You made this promise. You made this oath. That's why this is up here. That's why he erected stones in the middle of the Jordan for a remembrance. When the people asked, what are these stones doing here in the Jordan? He said, these are the stones, in the middle of Jordan, near the Jordan. Uh, these are the, this is a remembrance of how God saved us and brought us across from our enemies and, 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 and saved us. This is going to be a remembrance to you. I remember being in Israel once and uh, I was there with my boss. We we're on our way to Italy for a business trip. And we came to a, a little uh, Jerusalem and after lunch. It's closed. It's shut down after, after one o'clock or 12 noon, they shut down Old City. We didn't know that. We came into Jerusalem hoping to see a bit of Jerusalem and it was all shut down. We were hungry, nothing open. And as we were going to the narrow streets of the Old City, there was a little big, big door open and, and a father and his son, his father was making falafels on a, on a barbecue. And we asked him, what's going on? Why, is, why are the streets empty? He said, oh, Jerusalem shuts down after lunch. 
Oh, we wanted to buy something to eat. Well, I'll give you some of mine. He didn't say, I'll give you some of mine. He wanted to get paid for some of his. So we bought them. And then, then the man said to me, uh, said to us, so uh, if you want to see Jerusalem tomorrow, you can come back. And my son can give you a tour of Jerusalem. We say, hey, sounds pretty good. Okay, what time? We'll meet you here at whatever it was, 10 o'clock. And uh, I said, how much does it cost for the tour? You know what he said? He didn't give me a, how many shekels. He said, um, whatever is in your heart. Because he knows he's going to get more. When you give whatever is in your heart. Now, if you don't want to show that you're so stingy, you show what's in your heart by giving less. So that's why he says, whatever is in your heart. I said, no, please, give me an idea of how much it's going to cost. He said, whatever is in your heart. So he wouldn't give up on that one. He knows what works. So, okay. The next day we come around. I said, Mike, we said we are going to go and see this tour guide. He said, ah. I'm not going to pay that much, whatever he wants. We'll go by ourselves. We'll, we'll get around. I said, but he, we said we'd come back. He didn't want to go. So we took off. At the end of the day, we come down and he's, we see him near a falafel cart. I don't know what they call them in, in uh, Jerusalem. But he's there. We went to get a falafel. He's over there standing and he, he's looking at us and he's eating his, and he's, he recognizes us. And he says, you said you would come. I really got pricked by that. Like, we didn't keep our word. I try to remind Mike, but I don't know what to do in this situation. He doesn't want to go. I do. And I thought, let God deal with this, perhaps. He said, you said you would come. And that struck a bit of fear in me because I'm thinking of, this was a reminder to me what I said. Number one, I think I should have said, no, I know I should have said, if God wills, we'll be here. But it reminds me of this witness, the stones that they made a promise and the rocks will cry out. They are witnesses to us, as a stone was to Israel. That could prick our hearts to remind us the things that we had promised to God. Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall therefore be a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. And Joshua said to the people, Depart every man to his inheritance. I'm reminded of, of how they received their inheritance. Today in this world, you see what's happened in Russia. A few years ago, Russia invaded Crimea, the peninsula there, because they said that belongs to us. They felt they got a raw deal when Gorbachev divided the Soviet Union. 
Now they want it back. Now the Russians want to go back to the good old days in Putin's mind. So they took Crimea back. Now they want Ukraine to get access to the sea also from that end. And the way they're doing it is through brute force and war and intimidation and you name it. I compared that to this land. You know how Joshua divided the land? It took some struggle to drive out those that rebelled against God, the, the six, seven nations, or the, there were five, seven. And then when he went to divide the inheritance, he went into the tent, went to the tent in Shiloh, the, the tabernacle, and he cast lots. Drew out the map, cast lots. Issachar gets this, Dan gets this, um, Judah gets this, Benjamin gets this, Ephraim gets this. It wasn't saying, hmm, who's, got, who's the most worthy here? I'm going to give him the best land closer to Jerusalem. He cast lots. And God gave them their inheritance. I'm thinking, the nation of Israel, that's, as Brother Vic Schlatter said 30 years ago, 25 years ago, is a sliver of a nation. And it's created this much attention throughout history, bloodshed, wars, because God made a promise in his holy book that he's going to give this to his nation, Israel. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of the inheritance in Timath Serah, which is in the Mount Ephraim and on the north side of the hill of Gash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that uh, outlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph with the children of Israel brought up out of which they brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a parcel of ground which Jacob had bought for his sons of Hamor, from the sons of Hamor. This is a historical account, but it's not just dry history. This is a spiritual account of the movement of God amongst his people. And when I think about that history, and he wanted them to learn from their past, I think about what have we learned from the past? What have we learned from the past year? What have we learned from the past decade? We have seen witnesses amongst ourselves, faithful witnesses that have gone on before, that have served the Lord faithfully to 98 years old, to 85, to whatever it would be, and they've gone. They've gone to the promised land. Why? Because at one point in their life, they made a decision. They didn't waver. They made a decision. And that's what Joshua is asking the nation of Israel, and that's what God is asking us today. Choose you this day. 
You're either going to choose. If you don't choose God, you've made a choice. You've, cho- you've chosen the God of this world. If you haven't got chosen God as your father, you've chosen the father of lies. You say, oh, no, I haven't. Yes, you have. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. If you don't choose me, you've chosen the other. You've also, if you rejected the destiny of heaven, you've chosen the destiny of hell. And that's the saddest part. By not making a choice, you are making a choice. And God is offering you today, what will you choose? To him be the praise and glory evermore. Amen. A brother, find a hymn, please. I read an article this past week. I told me to try to be very brief. And uh, Elon Musk was making some kind of a statement. We've got to do something with this planet or else. Something like that. So I, I watched his uh, interview. And basically his point is this. We need to find and explore other places where we can live, like Mars. And when he was questioned why, he says, because life is getting boring. He's conquered everything. It's boring here. So let's start sending people out into space. You've got these millionaires, billionaires paying hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, to have a little thrust into space and come back down and feel exhilarated. And that was his main purpose, because what's the purpose in life? If he just dies in a, in a little fizzle. Life is boring. Is that it? Is that it to life? And if you don't make it to Mars, then your life is pointless and boring. There is something far more exciting for the believer. There is something far more exciting for the believer. Something that will leave the, the, the impressive achievements of man in the dust trail. If only they would come to the source of all truth to the source of all fulfillment and to the eternal source which will not fizzle to Jesus Christ. I pray this is the same for us that we seek him to find the most fulfilling life and end and future life not on Mars but in the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory evermore. This concludes our service.